a listener production. Hi, listeners or glisteners. Oh, my catness. We had a little bit of issue with my mic at the start of this episode, so I'm really sorry for the uh, first bit. Uh, I'd say about 10 minutes of breaking news. Uh, it sounds a bit crappy because we had to revert back to my shitty Skype mic um, because something went wrong with my microphone. Almost certainly to do with me. I probably pressed a wrong button somewhere because I never know what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, it it does fix after that first little 10 minute slot. So, um, yeah, then you get to hear us sounding smooth and beautiful and Jacob talking about his favorite subject of all time. But be warned, Rosie sings. I sing a lot. I (laughs) sing a lot. I have just ended up in one of the wettest places on earth for the next week. It's nonstop rain here in the tropical rainforest. Um, uh, <laughs> I didn't say loose, stinkiest place. Um, there, yeah, so you'll probably hear a fair bit of background noise, but I've done my best to try to dull it all. Alrighty. Should we crack Let's in? This. Yeah. <laughs> it's goddamn terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my catness. every day since you said that to me. Hey, all you glisteners. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, marvellous. Keeps on giving. I love that it just cut off. I'd love to know what she was going to say. She was ending with, I hope you're... uh, Yeah, and I reckon she was going to say, I hope you're aware that I actually did kill my husband (laughs) and feed him to the tigers. I'm certain. I'm certain. Uh, So good. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Truly. Okay. Hello, listeners, and welcome back for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I give you just the glist of what you need to know about a topic we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. myself any longer. Yes. I'm so Everyone, thrilled. He's been asking me for a while and I finally gave Jacob permission <laughs> to give us all just the gist of share. <laughs> now I have some serious catch up here to keep the time frame low. <laughs> not low, not nothing. But, I mean you could if I let you go for four and a half hours. So at the very least, this could have been a nine-part series. I had actually plotted that out for if I was going to make it a nine-episode story arc, but you will be so impressed at how restrained I have been. I have really edited this down. I am giving you just the gist or the glist of what you need to know, um, and I'm giving you all lots of homework as well of things that you can go forth and continue to watch and listen to if you're keen to know more about the goddess, the diva, the icon. Okay, well, we'll quickly get breaking news out of the way so you can get to what is the dream magnum opus moment of your creative life, shall we? Yes. Breaking news, the breaking news, that episode, I see extra, extra, we all about it, a breaking news. 
it's coming down the wire. So, okay, what I am just completely obsessed with this week is what could be a male scammer. You know how I'm always obsessed with female ones? Yeah. This week, a dude has gotten in big trouble. Do you know who I'm talking about? No clue. Jock Zonfrillo. Do you know who he is? No. Okay, so he is one of the judges on MasterChef. You uh-huh. haven't booted the other three and got in a new three judges. I have absolutely no idea, but okay. <laughs> so they booted the old three and got in three new judges last year. So Jock Zonfrillo is this chef from originally from Scotland and he like I don't know, I think he's probably about in his forties. He's maybe getting close to fifty. Mm. He's like quite handsome. He's kind of like got this bad boy chef image. He's always alluded to the fact that he was addicted to heroin when he was younger and he's like, you know, being a chef is what saved his life and now he's like become this phantom phantom phoenix mm. rising from the ashes mm. got his master chef job and he's becoming a household name blah, blah, blah. and so he wrote this memoir called last shot and it came out last week and good weekend did a huge cover story on him mm. and he agreed to it like because it's you know it's a big deal to be on the cover of good weekend and have a big profile done on you it's going to help you sell a lot of your books mm. Um, but the writer, Tim Elliott, who was a brilliant journalist, um, when he was, like, researching for the profile, kind of found out that most of what he put in the memoir is, like, bullshit. Oh. Yeah. What sort of bullshit? So he talked a lot about the fact that when he um, was an up-and-coming chef in the UK, like in London, he was homeless, he was addicted to heroin, uh. and he, like, just turned up at Michael P- Marco Pierre White's uh, Michelin star restaurant and asked mm. for a job, and Marco gave him a job, and, like, Marco could tell that he was homeless, so he found him somewhere to live because he caught him sleeping in the store in one night. And Marco, like, knew he was on heroin, and after they'd have good nights, like, in the kitchen, he'd take him fishing to, like, stop him from using. And they got in touch with Marco Pierre-White, and he was like, look, Jock is a nice guy, but none of what he says about me is true. None of that happened. I never found him accommodation. I barely Uh, remember him working for me. I mm. don't, like, I've never taken him fishing. I don't know what that's about. Uh-huh. I mean, I 
started having a problem with him when he talked openly about um, having anxiety um, and struggling to deal with anxiety in ways that doesn't include taking drugs because he is yeah. a drug addict or mm. even that is now up to date. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so he um, would constantly be holding these anxiety beads, kind of like little worry beads. Mm. And he'd hold them on TV. All of a sudden, last year, he started holding them on TV. Like while he's hosting MasterChef, you'd see him holding his little beads. Mm. And so he started talking about, like, you know, I suffer from anxiety and these beads are really helpful to me. And I was like, that's awesome because mm. it's so rare for people to talk about mental health stuff, but it's especially rare for men to talk about anxiety and depression and like making themselves vulnerable like that and then he was like by the way I sell these for $500 <gasps> oh and $5 goes to Beyond Blue you're kidding no the audacity oh that's foul I think he's just a bit of a grifter yeah I think he's like you know, um, an opportunist. Mm. And he's made up this story and he agreed to this interview with Good Weekend thinking it was going to be a fawning, um, you know, piece. And it wasn't. He also, like, has talked about the fact that because he was famous for his restaurants using native Australian ingredients, like Indigenous-inspired ingredients, and mm. he talked about, like, going into these special um, uh, lands, like, in the middle of, a desert somewhere that like aren't you're not really meant to go there unless you're invited by the local Aboriginal community and he kept turning up and they kept sending him away and he kept turning up and they kept sending him away and then finally they let him in but then like the rangers like told him no you have to leave and he was like as I was driving out of there I pulled my car over and I dropped to my knees in the red desert dirt and cried into the night. I was so angry at how we've exploited these poor people. But then he went away and, like, made money off restaurants using Mm -hmm. their And when they, when Tim Elliott, because he's a brilliant researcher, talked to local authorities, they said... You, everybody gets registered who goes there because these communities like are kept safe and they're kept protected. Mm. And they're like, yeah, the only time there is a record of him ever going into that community is once in 2013 or something, or like 2016, mm. when he was there for two days as part of a Tourism Australia campaign that he was paid for. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> so just every single claim in his book, Tim Elliott, just wow. goes through it and just like... It, I don't know. it seems like the whole book is untrue. So I just got obsessed with it. Obsessed. I couldn't stop reading about it. It blew up on Twitter because everyone was like, is this guy a nutter? Mm. Like, is, it's a very Bell Gibson, Elizabeth Holmes situation. Like, mm-hmm. does he actually believe all the stuff he's written? And the people who are saying that he's lying, like, they have no reason to. Like, a lot of them are his friends. Even mm. Marco Pierre White, like, the stuff that he lied about makes him look good. Mm. He's like, you know, I wish I could say I found him accommodation and helped him get off drugs and took him fishing. Like, I barely know him. (laughs) 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 And I got so obsessed that he has um, a one-on-one interview about his book coming up at the Melbourne Writers Festival that Mm. I'm sure was scheduled before this story came out. Mm -hmm. And I'm so obsessed that I booked tickets because I need to see what he says. I, I need to know. He won't go through with it. Do you think he's got the gumption to actually appear? 
So here's the thing. Zan Rowe is interviewing him and she's a great interviewer and she doesn't suffer fools. She's cool. Mm. And so I, she's in an awkward position because, like, these interviews are meant to be, you know, helpful for the author to sell books. Mm-hmm. I've done them before. Like, you don't expect to be invited to a festival to be interviewed and then to have it be, like, a takedown. Yeah. Which I don't think she would do, but... I, I do think that she will ask questions that people are like, what the hell? Mm. But he's released a statement just saying all of it's true and this is unfair. And the publisher released a statement saying, like, you know, we are going to sue Good Weekend if this affects book sales. But, like... The truth's going to come out. And, I mean, this has happened before several times, right? There was that famous example of the guy who wrote Million Little Pieces that went on Oprah. And he's, I mean, it sounds like the exact same story, this tale he'd weaved about being homeless and destitute and a crack cocaine addict and all just totally fiction. Totally fiction. And, like, there was some stuff coming out this week, people sticking up for him, and he even said in the statement he released, like, Marco Pierre White wrote about doing this for me in his own book, like, back, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago or something. But then when Good Weekend went back and looked at that, that book was written with someone else, like a third party. And the only part in the book that refers to Marco Pierre White doing this for Drops on Frillo is when the author was interviewing Jocks on Philo about his time with Marco Pierre White. So it's like, yeah, it's easy mm. Marco Pierre White, White's book, but it's a quote from you. I <laughs> 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 like, I'm dying. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. <sighs> so, I don't know. So, some people are sticking up for him. A lot of people are just, it seems online and on social media, people are just amused. They're like, wow, mm. it's a Artist. Mm. And everyone in Adelaide is just like, told you. Yeah. For me, it was the, the worry bead thing. Talking openly yeah. about how the only thing that fixes his anxiety is holding these worry beads and then saying, by the way, here's a link to my store, they're $500. What like, were yeah. they made of? He hand makes them himself. Like, he makes them. But it's like, I don't, mm. that's just gross. That is so, I, I, that is gross to me. Yeah, and like, okay, they're handmade, but out of what platinum? He makes them out of like bone and jade. I don't know. He carves little skulls and. Okay, they're probably going to dig up the fact that he doesn't actually have anything to do with the manufacturing process as well, and they're all just <laughs> churned out of a factory so in Pakistan. True. Yeah. But it's probably so true. Anyway, so I'm just really obsessed. You know how obsessed I get with scammers yes. and with flyers. Yes. I get obsessed. So I'm I'm on the case, and I'm booked in to go to the interview. If it goes ahead, we'll probably still be in lockdown. But Is that in the next few weeks? Uh, I think it's in September. Okay, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, sorry guys, I'm having weird mic issues. So that sounded a bit weird. My bad. I don't know what's going on, but let's just keep, let's push through. We've got to get Power to share. She's an icon um, of tenacity and she can inspire us through this. Okay, before we get to that, I want to talk about another icon mm. of tenacity. Uh, This is my second and final piece of breaking news for this week. A girl in the UK 
had to get five surgeries on her jaw. She has six screws inserted into the left side of her face because she dislocated her jaw while trying to eat a KFC stack burger. (laughs) (laughs) What is a KFC stack burger? It's a burger just stacked with a lot of chicken and stuff. And it's really... And it's really high. And she is now saying, she is now <gasps> petitioning for hazardous, highly stacked burgers <laughs> to not be allowed. I mean, you could just use your own adult's autonomy and intelligence to go, I don't <gasps> think I can do that in one massive bite. But no. Wow. She wants to take down stack burgers. <gasps> she's going to sue. She's going to become a millionaire. She's going to become an advocate for... Hazardous. Bruh, it looks bad. I mean, I found this on um Daily Mail, of course, and um she has had an epic time. She's in hospital for so long. She actually has also like it's done something to her where she now has seizures because uh-huh. of nerve damage. Literally because she <gasps> opened her mouth as wide as it would go to take a bite out of a Casey stack back. Wow. <laughs> having to tell people that's why i mean it's probably better than if it was you know gobby <laughs> a dick yeah <laughs> yeah we both went we both went to the same place i mean that is probably like the next worst mm. thing on the list it's yeah what i automatically assume em- embarrassingly having to tell people no no <laughs> although it's definitely more me if it was me i'd be in the hospital and the doctor would be like head job and i'd be like kfc <laughs> so um yeah i just thought that was a finger licking good little tip great cautionary tale people need to know about the dangers of their burger stacks Mm. yeah like just don't think you can do it in one one bite like jesus squish it down (laughs) i don't know like just don't (gasps) anyway so that's That's what happened to her, and that was breaking news. Now I get to relax and just listen to you talk about a show. I'm very excited to be doing this, and I've been wanting to do it for a very long time, but I was waiting until the right moment. It feels like the right moment now for a couple of reasons. Number one, we've heard a lot of you asking for us to share a nice uplifting story that's inspiring and doesn't involve much death because we've had a few dark ones in the last few weeks. That's um, true. And there is no more inspiring story than that of Sherilyn Sarkeesian Lapierre Bono Allman, as she was known <laughs> before she officially changed her name to Cher. Um, is her name Sherilyn? Yes, and we'll get to talking oh, about why. That's mm. a lot less iconic, Sherilyn. Yes, she may not have made it to where she is had she stuck with that. Sherilyn um, sounds like she's going to complain to the manager about her <laughs> stack burger being too high. <laughs> Does a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she'd be wearing a twin set with um, mm-hmm. blonde streaks. Um, the other reason is a lot of people have become interested in Cher because of the fact that she's become a bit of a leader in the Free Britney Brigade. Yes. Um, and so that sort of sparked a lot of people's curiosity to know more about her. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll come to understand through hearing this story that it's very much because Cher knows exactly what it's like to find yourself stuck in a situation where 
you're a slave, essentially, mm. an involuntary servitude situation. Oh, 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 before you get into it, did you, have you listened to the latest episode of Toxic, the Britney I Spears have. Yes. podcast, and that goes mm. into all her money and yep. stuff? Everyone, go and listen to it. We've told you about it before. It's called Toxic. I think it's the best Britney-based podcast out there right now. And they dig deep into exactly where her money is, where it's going, how certain money's Mm -hmm. being covered up, and how Mm -hmm. everyone's like, it doesn't make sense that she's only worth $60 million. Her dad must have wasted her money. It's like, no, they're hiding her money somewhere. Yeah. Anyway. And so they have been blew, allowed to do it. I listened to that this it. morning it's and wild. it blew my mind. Yeah. I know. It's wild. It's wild. Mm. Head anyway. over there. After you've listened yeah. to this, everyone. After you've listened to this, please. Mm. All right. So let's start at the very beginning of the goddess's <laughs> life. The first of many obstacles that she had to overcome was just simply being born. Because when mm. Cher's mum, Georgia, was pregnant with her, she came very, very close to having an abortion. Because... <gasps> She was a gal in trouble. She was this simple country girl from Arkansas who may or may not have had partial Cherokee family background. We're a little bit Uh uncertain about that. Um, She'd spent her entire childhood hustling to try to make it in the movies and on stage, kind of like Shirley Temple. It was that era of you told us about the baby burlesques. She was involved in that growing up as a kid. And then when she was 19, she met this Armenian man named John Sarkeesian, and he was a short, poor, but very charismatic truck driver. And he convinced Georgia <laughs> to marry him in charismatic Reno. Charismatic truck driver. Charismatic yeah. truck driver. Isn't that the dream? Yes. She didn't like him, but he just had that charm and charisma to him yeah. that he somehow convinced her to marry him in Reno one night. And she Reno, woke up the next okay. day, regretted the wedding immediately, wanted to get an annulment straight away. But he convinced her with his charm to stay and see if she actually liked being married to him. She did not like it. But leaving him became quite difficult because she was already pregnant after a couple of weeks. Mm -mm. So she asked her family to let her move home and her mum said, okay, but only if you get an abortion. Because this was um, the time just after the Great Depression and World War II was still going on. So the family just couldn't support Georgia and her baby. So Georgia went with her mum to have an abortion at a clinic. At the very last minute, she was sitting in the chair, legs in stirrups. The doctor walked in and she realised she just couldn't do it and she left, which left her with no choice but to go back to John and try to make it work. And she had Mm -hmm. the baby and she named her Sherilyn Sarkeesian. And you're going to love this. She made the name up. It's kind of like you told us about that girl, Chrishell, was it? Yeah, Chrishell. And what was it? I can't remember. Was it Christopher and Michelle? Like, I can't even remember now. I think it might have been Christopher and she was born at a Shell service station or something like that. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes, she was born at a Shell service station. Oh, Uh my God. I totally forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, In this instance... Uh, Georgian named Cher, Sherilyn. She got Cheryl from the name of Lana Turner's daughter because Georgia worshipped Lana Turner, Hollywood actress. And then the Lynn comes from Linda, which is Georgia's mum's name. Uh So, yes, it is a classic Bogan made-up name that's just ever so slightly better than Chrishell. 
Sherilyn. John and Georgia were incredibly poor. They were living in a slum in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And, of course, mm. all our geriatric millennial gisners will know exactly what TV show was set there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And they were so poor they couldn't even afford to feed little baby Sherilyn. So mm. they had to send her to live in an orphanage run by nuns so that she oh, could no. be fed and cared for while they worked hard to get her back. And Georgia mm-hmm. visited Cher every day, but it just broke her heart to be separated from mm. her baby, obviously. Finally, when John started making enough money and they could bring Cher home, the nuns put up a fight. They didn't trust Georgia and John to be able to look Mm. after Cher. They tried to push for Cher to be adopted out. So that was a very traumatic battle for Georgia and it was tough for Cher as well. It took them months, but eventually they got Cher home and then, of course, within a few months, John and Georgia split before Cher was even one year old. Mm. So Georgia was now a dirt poor single mother who just had to try to figure something out and full credit to her, she did it in the 1940s, which is pretty incredible. She got jobs modelling and singing and acting in a few bit parts on TV shows like I Love Mm -hmm. Lucy. She was on there a few times. So Cher grew up surrounded by her mum's friends who were all actors and models and very glamorous. Over the years, Cher had five different stepdads and she got a little sister named Georgian. Yes, very much. (laughs) Honestly, there are so many parallels between your life and Cher's Ah! as you're about to see. Mm-hmm. And we've clearly ended up at the same level of iconic <laughs> status, haven't we? <laughs> You've got another 40 years to get where she is. Yeah, but I'm sure we're about to find out that at 35 she was already like a freaking icon. But okay, let, keep Closer going. to 16, but yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Similar to you, though, she felt like kind of an ugly duckling in the family oh, because yep. her mother was really glamorous and blonde, her sister was really cute and blonde, whereas she had her dad's Armenian features, dark hair, dark skin, big nose. So mm-hmm. it's like the way you would compare yourself to Rhiannon and as cute as you were, you just didn't see yourself um, mm. as anywhere near as attractive as she was. Except ours was the other way around because my mum and my sister both have the like um because we've got some like Chinese um ancestry Mm. and so they both kind of have this very exotic like these exotic looking beautiful eyes Mm. and like they both have this kind of um very beautiful like non-boring Anglo look Mm. and then I was born and I just look like my dad's family who are literally for just 10,000 years Irish bog people. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like pale, freckly, blonde, bleh, and like then my mum and my sister are like beautiful Mm. goddesses. I know how it feels, share, share. You can relate. Oh, I can relate. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, also similar to you and to me, I will say she was that cliched kid who was always coming up with opportunities to perform. She was constantly organizing musicals. She cast them, direct them, (laughs) produce them, and of course, star in them. And no surprises, she was a pretty naughty kid as well. She even got arrested when she was 13 years old. (gasps) For what? She used to borrow her mum's car without telling her and go cruising Mm. around town and then that escalated to her then borrowing her friend's car and he reported it stolen. So she was pulled over, taken down to the station, got her mug shot taken. You can find that online. Mm. And very luckily for her, she was sent home with just a warning. 
call yeah, message to Judy. Um, she's very badly dyslexic, so she found school hard, but she did get okay grades regardless of that, mm. though she just felt like school was a waste of time because she was determined to be the next Audrey Hepburn. So ah. she dropped out of school when she was 15 and moved to L.A. so she could start taking acting classes and making industry connections. And she mm-hmm. was paying the bills by working as a go-go dancer in nightclubs, again, awesome. 15 years old. Wowzers. And then in 1962, when she was 16, she met the man who would change her life, Salvatore Sonny Bono. At the time, he was 27, recently separated from his wife, and instantly Cher was infatuated, but not in a romantic kind of way, more in like a hero worship kind of way. Yeah. He struck Cher as the coolest, most eccentric, unusual person she'd ever met, and she totally gravitated towards that. He was this Mm -hmm. goofy-looking, short Sicilian man, just brimming with self-confidence and charm, and they clicked they liked all the same things, so they became really great friends, hung out every single day, and after a while, Cher secretly moved into his house, scandalous, mm. and then after a while, they fell in love. What year is it again at this point? Like what? 62. Decade are we in? 60s, okay, early 60s, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the following year, Sonny got a job working as an assistant for Phil Spector, who was a very big-time oh. music producer. Why are you making that noise? Because Phil Spector is um, infamous, I yeah, infamous mm-hmm. for um, shooting people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, well, he is like the guy who they say he was like an iconic uh, music producer. Mm-hmm. He worked with everyone from like, I think Michael Jackson to the Supremes to mm-hmm. everyone, but he was also nuts and violent and was known to hurt women mm-hmm. and did end up actually murdering a woman eventually. Like he is a problematic, talented man to say the least. Yes. And even though he didn't become murderous until towards the end of his life, he was always a sex pest. Yes, sex, violent sex pest. Yeah. Yeah. He may be his own episode at another point, but... Mm, I think so. He was very, very successful and Sonny really wanted Mm. a job there because Sonny wanted to become a songwriter and producer himself. But the job he got at the time was just as a studio gopher. He was an assistant. Yeah. And Cher would spend a lot of time hanging out at the studio with him while he was working. And there was this one day when Phil Spector needed some extra backup singers and Sonny volunteered Cher to be one of them because he'd heard Cher Mm -hmm. singing around the house. And even though she was not at all trying to become a singer, she just wanted to act like all Audrey Hepburn, Sonny could Mm. see what a big star Cher could potentially be in music. So Cher very reluctantly agreed to get up and sing with everyone. And you can hear the first record that she was ever recorded on, and I'm certain that you're going to know it, the Ronettes' Be My Baby. (gasps) Mm -hmm. She is not. Yeah, she's one of the background singers on that. Oh, my God. I've listened to that 10,000 times because it's from... Dirty dancing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and the really cute part of the story there is that she had to stand a few steps further back from the microphone than all the other backup singers because she had such a powerful voice that she was overpowering <sighs> all of them. Too iconic already. Mm-hmm. So she kept working as a backup singer, but Sonny yeah. was just determined to make her a solo pop star. He really believed she belonged in the spotlight. He certainly wasn't wrong, but he was the mm. only person in the world who had enough influence over her to be able to convince her to sing on her own. 
He mm. convinced Phil Spector to write and produce a record just for Cher to showcase her voice, and Spector agreed to give it a shot, but he was a firm believer that America would only listen to American artists, and he felt that Cheryl and Sarkeesian sounded too ethnic. And so mm. he insisted that she use a different name for her first record, and so Cher released the first song of her career as Bonnie Jo Mason. Oh, I thought you were going to say, and this is when she became Cher. No. Oh, wait, Bonnie, Bonnie Joe jo Mason? Mason? Yes. And How does that sound better than <laughs> Cheryl and Sarkeesian? I guess it's just got that southern country sort of vibe to it Barnet that he Joel thought was going to be commercial. Yep, exactly. Wow, okay. Oh, and the right. song How'd itself. How'd that go? Oh, very poorly because it was a song called Ringo, I Love You. It was a love song dedicated to Ringo Starr from the Mm. Beatles. Mm. And radio DJs refused to play it because they were certain that the voice singing was the voice of a man. Cher's voice was so deep that they just would not buy that Bonnie Jo Mason was a woman and they were too scared that it sounded like a gay love song. A a gay love song. Mm. Oh. So they refused to play it. It therefore did not sell. So that was a bit of a false start for Cher's musical career. You can find the song online. It is quite cute. I'd recommend a listen or a glisten. Um, Listen. (laughs) Sunny kept booking live gigs for Cher to perform, but whenever the time came for her to get on stage, she was terrified. She would only sing if Sonny was with her. He would have to physically push her out onto the stage and then stay there with her so that she could look at him while she was singing. She couldn't look at the audience. And then he couldn't very much just sort of stand there like a mannequin, so he would sing along with her. And so He's like a stage mother. Exactly, Yes. Who then, He's like those parents in the audience at pageants doing the whole dance while their daughter does it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And part of what made them unique as well is while they were singing, because her voice was so deep, he would sing the high parts and she would sing the low parts of the ah, harmony. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it became clear they were now a double act and they called themselves Caesar and Cleo because <laughs> he had that silly bowl cut mm-hmm. and made him sort of look like Julius Caesar. She had the exotic dark features that made her look mm. like Cleopatra. They released a few records but did not make a splash at all. So then they changed their name again to Sunny and Cher, only because they wanted to get a new record contract and they needed a new name if they were going to be able mm. to do that and get a fresh start. Still so it didn't- wasn't even like a big, like, and I am Cher now. It was just like a like contract negotiating thing. That's right. Yes. That became her performing <laughs> okay. name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't get any sort of big break until 1965 when Sonny wrote a little song you no doubt have heard called I Got You Babe. And the first yeah. time he played it for Cher, she was totally underwhelmed, didn't think it was even worth <laughs> recording. And this is the first of many examples of Cher turning down or almost turning down certified bangers. Later in her career, she would go on to turn down It's Raining Men. Cher could have been <gasps> the one Cher. to release It's Raining Men. But in her oh, defence, Cher, darling, Barbara turned it down as well. And okay. someone else, Donna Summer, turned it down as well. And so they just kept Who shopping it around. in the end besides Jerry Halliwell? Because that's the version I know. The Weather Girls. Ah, oh, okay. Mm, makes sense. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sunny convinced her to record I Got You, Babe. They spent the last few dollars they had on making the recording. And as we know, it became a smash hit. Sold. Wait, let's give it a little go. I don't know the words, but I'll I'll kick it off. Ready? <laughs> babe. I got you, babe. I got, I got flowers. You. Oh, it goes into it. <laughs> something, something, and there's something, and there's something. Da, 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 da. That way. That's that the beautiful. one, right? That's thank the you, one. Thank you so yes. Much. Yeah. I love that song. It's a great Karaoke song. classic. Karaoke duet classic. Absolutely. No doubt. Smash hit, sold more than a million copies, went to number one in the US, Canada and the UK, mostly because when they turned up in London to promote the record, they went to the Hilton Hotel to check in and they were dressed in their usual far out, groovy, sunny and chair signature style, bell bottoms, yeah. long hair. And the management at the Hilton looked them up and down and kicked them out. They were too conservative to allow these hipster beatnik mm. kids in there. And that became global front page news that these pop stars had been refused entry to the Hilton, which was the best possible free marketing for them. Of course. How old is Cher at this point? She's 17. Oh, my God. That is, I can't believe she recorded that song when she was 17. Mm-hmm. Yep. <gasps> wow. Pretty amazing. Okay. That's amazing. Yes. Maybe 19, but... My maths is Still. obviously not that great. Still, yes, remarkable. I mean, that's when we were at drama school. That's embarrassing because you know mm-hmm. what we were doing then. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't getting kicked out of the Hilton for being too awesome. Mm-hmm. And that moment, you know, it made the kids love them so much because it showed mm. that they were countercultural and rebellious. So they had all this street cred. They were international superstars within a week. It was the mm. best stroke of luck for them. Coincidentally and conveniently, Cher's dad reappeared and rekindled his romance with Georgia at this time and they got married for a second time just as Cher suddenly starts raking in all this money. Thankfully, that only lasted a year, but he's officially Georgia's first and fifth husband. (laughs) Oh, I want to just the gist on Georgia. She sounds awesome. I actually really can do one and I promise you I will do one in the future. She's had a phenomenal life. Yes. Sunny and Cher pumped out more and more records over the next few years. They had some pretty big hits like The Beat Goes On. And they were also in a few cute little movies that totally bombed. I love The Beat Goes On. It's a great song. I love that song. Sun's going down like a rhythm to the Britney does a great oh, yes, cover of it. Sorry, everyone. I, oh, yeah, I was just singing Britney's version. I don't know if you <laughs> noticed. <laughs> Wait, I can do Britney. Sun's going down like a rhythm to the bay. Yeah, I'm going to be singing a lot during this episode. <laughs> If I haven't already. (laughs) I anticipated this, yes. Yes, good. Now, the whole time Sonny was making all the decisions and he was the one handling all of the money. Cher looked after Mm -hmm. the costume. Sonny looked after the contracts and she trusted him completely. She signed whatever he told her to sign. Mm. And for a few years, they were huge stars. But fashions change. Fame is fickle towards the end of the 60s. The culture shifted in a big way, in large part because of the Vietnam War. 
All the mm-hmm. cool kids were out protesting and they were experimenting with drugs and they were having open relationships with multiple people and listening to, like, harder-edge rock music. So mm. the perception of Sonny and Cher was that they were just this bland, monogamous married couple who were anti-drugs and sang poppy, folksy love songs, so they were just considered yeah. totally square. Their records started to tank and their concerts just weren't selling. And so Sonny came up with a plan to pivot and get them into the movie business and out of the music mm. business. He wanted to help mm. Cher fulfil her dream of becoming an actress, so he wrote, produced and directed a film vehicle for her called Chastity. And he sold all their furniture, mortgaged their house, borrowed a ton of money to finance it. He thought it was going to be a huge hit, but it was just a disastrous mess. Where is of their movie. money? Why does why does he have to sell their furniture? Has he been he's been mismanaging the money, hasn't he? he and has. she's just been letting him do it. Okay, mm-hmm. and she okay. just had no clue. Yeah. So when the movie flopped, they wound up hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and essentially homeless, which was very bad timing because Cher was pregnant with her first child at the time. Which would be Chastity. Chaz. Yes, they named Chaz Chastity. No, no, that's okay. I don't want a black name, but that that is what they named Yeah, yeah, and they speak about it quite openly. But, yeah, Chaz is a transgender man who was assigned female at birth and was named Chastity at birth and then years later went on to transition and live his life as Chaz. Chaz. Yes. Um, Why did they name their baby after their flop of a movie. (laughs) (laughs) What's that about? It's a weird legacy (laughs) move. I think maybe at the time that they had the baby, the film hadn't actually been released yet. Right, it was still just hopeful and exciting. Okay, Mm -hmm. okay, okay. Yep, yep, yep. Mm Cher loved being a mum, but she was learning, as all mums do, that it is really effing expensive and they were Mm. broke and... Question, what do you file for when you've run out of money? I declare bankruptcy. (laughs) Bankruptcy. Yes, that's right. So Sonny had no choice but to desperately find a way to make them some cash. That was a little office reference for all the (laughs) geriatric millennials out there. (laughs) They got it. They enjoyed it. Yeah, they got it. it. He started booking them these really shitty gigs in casinos and nightclubs because it was all that he could get. And it was so humiliating because they'd gone from doing sold out concerts in huge venues to doing this cheap cabaret style act Uh, two times a night for drunk people who mostly didn't even have a clue who they were. Cher hated it more than words can explain, but she just had no choice. She'd have Mm -hmm. to get up on stage every night with Sonny and they'd sing cover songs and tell jokes and the drunk audience members would heckle them and Cher had no shits to give, so she'd heckle them right back and then she'd poke (laughs) at Sonny for being the short, hairy doofus who got them into this mess and that Mm. dynamic worked. They were really, really funny, especially when they were sort of riffing spontaneously in the moment. So they started to draw a crowd. The show kept getting better and better. They honed the act. Cher really nailed that persona of being the sarcastic dry one with a razor sharp wit and Sonny was the butt of most of her jokes. And then one night a TV executive happened to see the show and he thought the formula could work really nicely on primetime TV, which is what led to, Mm. in 1971, the Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour premiering. Yes! Mm -hmm. It instantly became one of the top ten shows in America. Have you seen much of it? Yeah, I've seen like a bunch of clips. It's kind of like a cute variety show and they would often bring out 
their child, yes. who at the time was Chastity, and, yes. and it was like, oh, it's like this family show, but it's mm-hmm. really funny. And it was a bit like, I guess the closest thing we have is like maybe, hey, hey, it's Saturday or something. It's just yeah. like a variety show. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It sort of was modelled on the formula of their stage show. Every night they yeah. would come out in matching outfits, they would sing a song together, then they'd do their little bickering duologue together yeah, and then bits. it would be there was skits, some guests skits, skits, sometimes. musical guests, big musical yeah. guests like the Jackson yeah. 5 and Ike and Tina Turner. Like they drew some serious names. Even Ronald Reagan was on there. Oh, what? Really? Yeah, yeah, when he was governor of California. So it was like oh, a big deal to go on their show and everyone oh. wanted to be on the Sunny and Share Comedy Hour because it just looked like so much fun as well. You can yeah, see what a blast they had. Yeah, it, it does. Having. The clips are cool. Yeah, and I will post yeah. a link to a full episode because I do enjoy watching full episodes. I've never watched a full episode. I've only ever seen clips. I think you'll like it, yeah. Okay. Um, and then you'll probably end up going down the rabbit hole and watching more and more episodes, even if it's just so you can see Cher's costumes, all of which were designed <laughs> by Mr. Bob Mackey, who is a legend. A legend. A legend. Yeah. So the show kept getting bigger and bigger over the course of its three seasons, but sadly off camera the marriage had deteriorated very quickly. Mm-hmm. They were essentially no longer married from towards the end of 1972. They were playing the part of this happy, perfect family. Like you said, they would bring Chaz out on stage with them at the end of every episode and sing I Got You, Babe. But in reality, each of them had their own live-in lover in their home. So Cher (gasps) lived in one wing with her partner. Sonny lived in the other wing with his partner. And Chaz would just spend time going between the two of them, which was a huge secret. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of, you know, if you... I like the idea of once you split with a partner, you're still able to remain mm. close and have, especially family. if you have kids. Yeah, you're still a, you're still a family. You are just not romantically linked together anymore, but yeah. that doesn't change the fact that you're a family. Yeah, Cher got yeah. along really well with Sonny's partner, and they would all Aww, share see, meals lovely. together as well. Yeah, but you know, it had to be kept hush hush because it was so of unconventional. Course. And also, I imagine. The fact that they're married is a huge part of the appeal, that it is this happy family and this beautiful marriage. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, the Sonny and Cher show is like America's sweethearts. They absolutely were. And part of the the reason she could get away with showing so much skin was because she was married and her husband was there on stage with her. Mm -hmm. Like at that time there was still that level of conservative mentality um that Uh, i mean she was causing a stir as it was but their main defense was she's married and her husband's right there beside her so it's okay uh, so she's if she's doing it for the man who owns her it's fine if she was doing it for herself she'd be a dirty slut Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay nailed it it. yep Mm -hmm. yep Mm -hmm. Um, you know what i'm gonna say uh gender dynamics the resentment between the two of them grew because he was acting like a dick. He couldn't handle the fact that Cher was such a huge star who eclipsed him. She was yeah. having solo number one hits like Gypsies, Tramps and Thieves and Half Breed. <gasps> Can you please sing a little Gypsies, Tramps and Thieves? I was born in the wagon of a travelling show. Mama had to dance for the money they throw. Papa would do whatever he could. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Gypsies, traps, and thieves. <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> okay. You were so 
you had that locked and loaded and ready to go. I was like, come on, Jacob. I thought I would have to convince you some more and you had already taken in a breath and we're getting started. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, I do have a a question here. Mm -hmm. When you told me you you wanted to do share and I was like, yes, awesome. And I said to you, oh, isn't Sonny, like, didn't he beat her up all the Mm. time? Because I assumed, I had always assumed that their dynamic was very similar to that of Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown. And -hmm. you were like, no, he was a dick, but he wasn't. He was never violent. Violent. Yeah. Right. See, that is something that I had always just taken as a given. Mm, No. Mm, I think a lot of people think that. Um. And look, I think it just gets mixed up in the canon of lots of, you know, uneven relationships between yeah. controlling men and their famous wives. And for some reason in my brain, I had filed away Sonny and Cher as a violent relationship mm. on his um, part. Thankfully, it was not. Um, yeah. But it was definitely emotionally abusive in a lot of yes, ways. Okay. Yes. And yep, financially yep, yep. as well, as we're about to find yep. out. Sonny was the one who filed for legal separation, but then a week later, Cher filed for divorce. And so then the whole situation became public. The network reluctantly had to cancel one of its most successful TV shows in history while it was still in its prime and divorce proceedings kicked off. And this was when Cher found out that for her entire career, Sonny had owned and operated 95% of the company that he'd set up called (gasps) Cher Enterprises. (gasps) And the lawyer owned the other 5%. Cher owned nothing. She had signed an agreement that made her a salaried employee, grossly underpaid. All the money was in Sonny's name. And Sonny had also made her sign a contract stating that she could never accept work from anyone but Sonny for the duration of that (gasps) contract, which was like another 10 years. Ladies, 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 get your own lawyer, Mm -hmm. get your own agent, get your own person to read over your stuff. Mm -hmm. I cannot even stress to you how often my agent says to me, Rosie, do not ever even nod your head in agreement to anything unless I am in the room. Mm. Like you Wise oh, advice. don't don't ever sign anything without your own independent legal mm-hmm. advice separate from the person who is asking you to sign something. An episode with a message. We love those. Share no. So, yeah. so she's basically been working like she works in a KFC selling mm-hmm. stack burgers, like exactly. a salaried employee. <laughs> That's right, yeah, and essentially oh a slave. This is why she relates to Britney so much. She knows exactly what it feels it. like to have a supposed loved one exploit you to make money off your skills and stardom. Oh, yeah. So that was devastating. Yeah. And Cher turned to the only person at the time who could relate, another woman who'd been part of a very famous couple who were America's sweethearts once upon a time but had then gone through a public divorce that left her penniless. Debbie Reynolds. No. Want to guess again? Uh, I think red hair. uh, Red hair. The woman or the man? The woman. I'm at a loss. Lucille Ball. (gasps) Oh, Lucille Ball. Yeah. Okay, I would call her strawberry blonde. When you said red hair, I was thinking like Scottish flames, but okay. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, like the girl from Brave. I was like, who? (laughs) Julia Roberts? Um, Oh, of course, Lucille Ball with Desi Arnaz. Yes, he'd basically done to her what Sonny had done to Cher. And they'd known each other since Cher was little when Georgia was on the I Love Lucy show. Why? 
are men. <laughs> there are so many stories like this one. It's really upsetting. You know what? I make a lot more money than Caleb and I am in control of it and take care of it myself. No crossover, my friend. And a girl. No crossover. Yeah, Smart way to go. live. And so, because lessons have been learned from the women who came before us like that. Mm-hmm. So Lucille gave Cher some advice that made her feel confident that despite what Sunny said, she could become an even bigger superstar if she went out on her own. And Cher mm-hmm. needed that reassurance because she was now a single mother, $2 million in debt to Sunny mm. for breaching her contract. She's in debt to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, get effed yep. burgers. It is wild, yes. But all the cards were stacked in his favour because he was protected by the contracts and, of course, he that was the man sad. as well. Bullshit. And he'd been telling Cher that America was going to hate her. They would never forgive her for leaving him and mm. she believed that. She thought her career was over, that she'd never be able to pay off her debt. She was screwed, but Lucille convinced her otherwise and told well, her to go because- for it. That's what abusive men do, or abusive people, I should say. Abusive people always convince the person they're abusing that they'd be nothing without them because the abuser really knows they'd be nothing without the victim. Mm. They're terrified to let the victim go, so they try to knock the victim down mm. so that they will never leave them alone. Like he's yeah. do- It's classic abuse behaviour. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's always sad to see. And it, yeah. I have seen it happen with people in my own personal life. Yeah, me too. Very Everyone sadly. has, which is mm. really sad. Yeah. Um, based on the confidence boost that Cher got from Lucille Ball, she went ahead and got herself her own solo TV series, which launched yeah, in 1975. Girl. The divorce battle was still raging when the Cher show started and it mm-hmm. was a massive success, even though it was the underdog because also at the same time when the comedy hour ended, Sonny kept all the crew, the writers, performers and launched his own solo show called The Sunny Comedy Review and his show totally belly flopped and of was cancelled. because talent is talent. You mm. can't fake talent and he was riding her coattails so without her... Of course it was going to belly flop. Yeah, it was totally bland. Then Cher's spectacular show came along and it was a total smash. Great ratings, fantastic Mm -hmm. reviews, the best guest stars. There's one clip. I'll put it in the show notes. You need to check it out. She did a medley with Bette Midler and Elton John that includes Proud Mary and Ain't No Mountain High Enough. I knew (gasps) you would die when you heard that. (laughs) Oh, my God. I can't can't Mm -hmm. breathe. I can't breathe. What? Yeah. Every episode there was iconic moment. She did this amazing cover of Shame, Shame, Shame with Tina Turner. There's a moment that she did something with Miss Piggy. Just go and check it out. It was such a wonderful show. (laughs) Um, It sounds like she's using her show to do what we're going to use our shows for, which are coming in early 2022. And we've decided that we're just going to put really theatrical musical numbers in every performance Mm -hmm. because, like, we can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's what she's doing. Why not? Why not? Why not? I'll be wearing Bob Mackie as well. She also had a new man at this time. She came out on top with the TV show and then four days after the divorce from Sonny was finalised, she married a guy called Gregory Ullman, who was a musician in a band called the Ullman Brothers. He was the exact opposite of Sonny. Tall, Mm -hmm. blonde, oozed cool, kind of Mm -hmm. a bad boy image and he was a 
bad rebound in many ways. Cher filed for divorce nine days after they got married because she found out how addicted to drugs and booze he was. Uh-oh. Yeah. She then retracted that and decided to try to make it work with him, which made her life quite difficult for the next few years. And how old is she now? She is not yet 30. I was going to say 30, not even 30. No, she's 29 at this point. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But then in the year that she turned 30, she surprised everyone because her show was such a big hit. Everyone was shocked Mm. when she invited Sunny to come on board as co-host of the show with her and relaunch it as the Sunny and Cher show. She just didn't feel like she could handle the responsibility of having a solo show she had to carry on her own and she asked if Sonny would come back and do it with her. So he came on board for the Sonny and Cher show. At its start, ratings were excellent, but then it totally nosedived because the audience just felt a bit icky and uncomfortable about some of the jokes that they'd make. Well, they were talking quite openly about their divorce and Cher's new husband and about money and they were just too candid and, this is and flippant. what, 1975? 76, yeah. It was yeah, too, it's too much. Yeah, too progressive. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. America had to turn away so the show was not renewed. However, even though that was a bit sad, some good things happened to Cher in 76. She gave birth to her second child, Elijah Blue, and the Cher doll outsold Barbie and became the number one toy in America. Mm. Oh, is it made by Mattel? Like, is it made by No, Barbie? it's a competitor. Oh. Yeah. Do you have one? No. <laughs> I don't even really want one, to be honest. Dolls creep Why? me out. Yeah, you should get one. No, thank you. No, 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 oh, no. Okay. There's something about any sort of doll or puppet. It, they, they give me the heaps. Okay. Mm. So... At this point, Cher decided to try to reinvent her musical career. She's always been a rock chick at heart. She's not a big fan of pop. Gave that a crack. It just wasn't working for her. None of her albums were selling, but TV still loved Cher. She started doing a series of award-winning primetime specials, the first one being called Cher Special, and I'll post a couple of clips that you must watch firstly when she does a 20-minute rendition of all the songs from West Side Story and she plays all of the parts and there are multiple shares on screen at the one time. (laughs) It is mwah. Mwah, mwah, mwah. She even plays, like, the male roles, yeah. like dressed as a man, like it is just, it's hard to describe how iconic it is. Yes. <laughs> it's and it's so, so campy great. and so ridiculous. Yeah. She is all of the jets and all of the sharks all at once. It's amazing. Yeah. It'd be, it's the equivalent of like Lady Gaga today saying, I'm going to do a special where it's called Lady Gaga does Grease and it's going to go for mm. two hours and I will play every single role. That's right. Yes. Like that is pretty much the equivalent. I hope one was. day she does that. Let's manifest that. It would that. be amazing. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you'll die when you hear this as well. I will post the link to this. If you love the Sister Act movies, you will love watching Dolly Parton and Cher do a gospel medley duet that includes the song Oh Happy Day. <gasps> it's magic. Oh. Mm. Uh, Meanwhile, Cher finally split from Greg Ullman. She'd stuck with him through so many visits to rehab, but none of the Mm. visits worked. He was a serious heroin addict, so she had to walk away to save herself. 
And mm. look, the rock style music that she was putting out just wasn't working for her. So she describes herself as a bumper car. When she hits an obstacle, she bounces off it and goes in the opposite direction. So she went right in the that. opposite direction and she launched a disco album called mm-hmm. Take Me Home, one of her finest I love just about every song that's on there. So she sort of became the princess of disco at this time. And ironically... Are there any famous songs on there? Well, Take Me Home is the big one. What? How does that go? Take me home, take me home. Keep going. <laughs> that's basically... <laughs> you look horrified. <laughs> that wasn't enough for me to get it. <laughs> Uh, it's all right. We'll play it to you later on. Oh, all right. Ironically, she was dating and living with Gene Simmons at this time, the guy from <laughs> Kiss with yes. the tongue is, and the makeup. He's a known garbage person, mm. but anyway, yeah, okay. Big Trump supporter now, a piece of shit. Oh, yeah, and the Me Too yeah. movement called him out for all sorts of foul for things. a thousand things. Yeah, yeah, he's gross. He never mistreated Cher, thankfully, but it was mm. just weird because he was like this rock god and she's the disco princess. They were such an mm. odd couple. And when you see them together, especially when she's in her outfits and he's in and he's his, his outfit, it's bizarre. <laughs> I had no idea they dated. Mm. Three years they were together, living together. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Um, the success of that disco album led to her first ever sold out world tour. And that then led to a residency at Caesars Palace. She did that for three years, sold out every single show. Classic, share, production, flashy, campy, she sparkly. Did a residency back then? Mm hmm. Whoa. Yeah. And was making a lot of money. It was wildly Good. successful. But she still had some itches she really needed to scratch. She really wanted to be taken seriously as an actor and her agent Mm. couldn't even get her auditions at the time because she was seen as this campy, cheesy pop star. So Mm. she walked away from the residency at Caesars, moved to New York City just so she could take acting lessons with a guy called Lee Strasberg, who's an industry Mm -hmm. legend that trained Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Jane Fonda. That helped her land herself a role in a Broadway play and she was so good in that play, she got to play the same role in the movie version of the play and she was so good in that movie, she was then offered the opportunity to co-star in a movie alongside the Miss Meryl Streep. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The movie's this called is, Silkwood. This is where, yeah, this is where I get more familiar with her uh-huh. career. Yeah. Uh, the movie's Silkwood. called Silkwood, yes, and Cher was excited but very, very nervous. She felt great about the shoot once it was done and she and Meryl became great friends and they're still friends today. And when the film was about to be released, Cher couldn't wait for everyone to see it because she was so proud. The day they started playing the trailer in cinemas, she went out and bought herself a ticket to a movie just so she could Mm -hmm. go in and see the trailer for herself. The trailer started and Meryl's name came up on the screen and everyone started muttering, oh, Meryl, love Meryl. Mm -hmm. And then Kurt Russell's name came up and he got the same sort of response like, oh, he's so handsome, I love him. And then Cher's name came up on screen and the audience erupted with laughter and she was crushed. It was mortifying. Mm. She had to bite the inside of her cheek to stop herself from crying. And as she left the cinema, she decided she was just going to use those emotions to her advantage and motivate her to one day be taken seriously, which actually didn't take very long. Because No, I mean, they hadn't seen her yet. It was a trailer and yeah. she is a brilliant 
actress. But the world hadn't seen it yet, really. They'd only seen her as a brilliant comic actress on TV. When people saw the movie, though, they realised she had some incredible talent and Mm -hmm. she was so excellent. She was nominated for an Oscar and she won a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress. Mm -hmm. And do you want to know who she was dating by this time? Gene Simmons had moved on to Diana Ross, by the way. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And so Cher was now dating Val Kilmer. What? Yeah. Really? Uh huh. Wowzers. They had I a great relationship oh, okay. for um, Good. two years. They Good were together. He's 15 years younger than Cher is. Hey, and man. I get it, girl. She paved the way <laughs> for folks like you to have a little May <laughs> September girl. romance. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, she kept making a bit of music, but her next big moment was a movie called Mask. Have you ever seen that? Mm mm. Okay. Highly recommend. It was one of the most commercially and critically successful movies of 1985. It's a true Mm -hmm. story of a tough biker chick called Rusty. That's Cher, obviously. And she has a son called Rocky that's got this rare life-threatening bone disorder. And she's trying her hardest to give him a normal life. It's actually a very moving story. And my mom first showed it to me when I was a kid as part of my empathy training. And she recommends all parents do it. So... Check it out, everyone. Okay. There was loads of Oscar buzz around the film and particularly Cher's performance, but she was totally snubbed by the Academy, didn't even get mm. a nom. She was just invited to present an award and she found exactly why she'd been snubbed. All the Academy members openly talked about the fact that they didn't see her as a serious actress because she wore those outfits Such and she had those sense. tattoos and she was dating those young men. Mm. And so Cher decided to show them exactly what she thought of their sentiments. She wasn't going to tone herself down to fit the <laughs> expectations of some crusty old Academy members. She was going to turn up the volume on everything that made Cher share. She went to Bob Mackie with a concept for an outfit more outrageous than anything she'd ever worn as a big middle finger to all the Academy yes, members. Girl. And yep. you know what the outfit is going to be, don't you? I do. It's the black one. It's it the black is. sheer, just gorgeous, most brilliant outfit anyone's ever worn. You can see Low it. cut. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, so revealing. You can like, see it on our Instagram. cut down to her vag. It's, like, gorgeous. It's the one you superimposed your face over for the calendar you made me for our birthday, which you can see on our Instagram. Um, Or you can just Google share 1986 Oscars. That's what she showed up to the ceremony wearing as her way of saying, I will never change myself or Mm. tone myself down. Good Incredible. Um, It was on the front page of every newspaper the next day because she looked like this Muppet version of a bat at a drag show. And but it was amazing. It was incredible and it was her response to being snubbed when she shouldn't have been. She was fantastic it's in that true. movie. Um, mm. Do you want to know who she was dating around this time while she oh was God, shooting who? and promoting Mask? Well, firstly, she had a little fling with Eric Stoltz who plays her son in Mask. He's yes. 15 years younger <laughs> than she is. Love it. Uh-huh. More scintillating than that, though, for a few months she was dating Tom Cruise. Ah, uh, yes, I have heard this. I okay. have heard that they dated for mm-hmm. like a, a few months long period. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. She was 39 Good at the time. Her. He was 23. They hooked up at Madonna's wedding and she and look, moved hot. into his place. And oh, it was, yeah. It was pre-Scientology crazy person. Yeah, so. five years before yeah. he went 
bonkers, yeah. Yeah. Um, She still says he's in her top five sex idiots, but the relationship (laughs) just wasn't sustainable because of their work schedules. Yeah. So it's fine that they split up because then Cher met the true love of her life, Robert Camaletti. So the year you were born, Cher turned 40. In fact, she turned 40 11 days before you were born. Stop it. Mm. So she turned 40 May 19, 1986? 20. May 20. May 20. Mm. Oh, see, I'm May 30. Close enough. Oh, Max uh, is not my strong suit. And you call yourself my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Rude. Um, well, that's even neater then, isn't it? Ten days, that's nice. Mm, Felix, yeah. cut that little line that I just no, said there, keep please. No, keep it. Keep <laughs> it. I get you Carol Baskin and you don't even know the date of my birthday. <laughs> Keep going. My apologies. Um, She was at her birthday party and she was drinking what she claims was just the second beer she's ever had in her life when she looked around and realised she wasn't old and decrepit. She was still Cher and she was still hot. She thought she was going to be totally washed out by the time she was 40 and just be irrelevant, but she was just reaching her peak. And then a 22-year-old caught her eye. And this is Robert Camaletti. He was just a normal guy, didn't work in entertainment at all. He was working multiple jobs, including one in a bakery. And they fell so deeply in love. They adored each other. And she still says he was her one true love of her life. Mm. He moved in with her. The press went bananas asking, is he a gold digger? So what's that, an 18-year gap? Yeah, 18 years. Yeah. Yeah. The press started calling him Bagel Boy and they were really cruel to him, started spreading all these terrible rumours about him. Mm. And in response, Cher got him to appear in one of her videos for I Found Someone as her way of saying, I love him, he loves me, up yours, I do not care what you think. And a lot of stuff happened in the three years that they were together. So you may have seen a famous clip where Cher went on Letterman and called him an asshole. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. I've seen just that little clip as like a gif, but explain to me what it is. Well, basically she went on the show and David asked her, why have you always turned me down when I've invited you on before? And she said, because I think you're an asshole. I don't like the way you talk to your guests. (laughs) And that was really awkward for him. And then he was like, well, why did you agree to do it now? And she said, because you agreed to pay my $28,000 hotel bill if I came on. So here I am. What do you want to talk about? Like, she just has no shits to give. She will never be fake and she just doesn't filter herself. So I love watching Mm -hmm. that clip. Then the next year she did make up with David Letterman and she went back on his show with Sonny. But that became a little bit awkward because she was sort of put on the spot and cajoled by the entire audience into performing I Got You, Babe, with Sunny, Mm. totally impromptu, which is also, it's actually really touching. At first you can see that she does not want to do it, but then once they get Mm. into the swing of it, she's being really affectionate with him and it's moving because it's the last time they ever performed together. So are they friends at this point, even though he ripped her off? That's right. Yeah. She forgave him. Even the day they got divorced, he grabbed her in his arms, lent her back and kissed her and they just laughed hysterically. I mean, it probably helps that she went on to make gazillions more dollars without him. I mean, if she'd been broke and left destitute forever, she'd probably be a bit more pissed. Very true, yes. Yeah. She focused on the um, the opportunities that he gave her mm. to get where she ended up being. Yeah. She kept making music, mostly power ballads. 
Um, but her focus was very much on movies. Quick story here about the Witches of Eastwick. She had to fight mm-hmm. for her role in that because Jack Nicholson thought she was too old and not sexy enough to be his love interest. <laughs> Even though Can he's he just- nine years older than she is and she was dating a <laughs> guy in his early 20s. Oh, yeah. Gross. Why are men, gender dynamics, et cetera, et cetera. 1988, she made the movie Moonstruck and she nearly turned it down. One of my top five favourite movies of all time. Oh, why do you love it? It's just so well written. It's Mm. brilliant. It's, it's, uh, you know, because I've been doing a bit of screenwriting work the last couple of years and Moonstruck is the screenplay I have on my computer that whenever I feel like I have writer's block, whenever I feel like I, I, I need inspiration, I just go back and read that screenplay. And it's perfect. It's perfection. Yeah. yeah. It's quirky. It's romantic. There are, like, ridiculous moments in there. Nicolas Cage has Nicolas a wooden Cage prosthetic arm. It, oh, I know. And it's just funny and sweet and well-written and well-acted and perfect. Yeah. It's just a perfect movie. But she nearly turned it down. She didn't think it was a great script, but mm. thankfully she was convinced to make Won it. her an Oscar. It sure oh, did. Oh, sorry, I just spoiled it. <laughs> no, most people know this. And, yes, she won the yeah. Best Actress Oscar against Holly Hunter, Glenn Close and Meryl Streep. Such yeah, a huge did. moment for her. Yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the media attention on her and Rob intensified, which sadly led to the breakup with Rob. Um, the paparazzi were outside mm. their house for months, day and night, and Rob hated that attention. And one night, Rob turned up to the house and his car's brakes failed, and his car slid into one of the paparazzo's cars by accident. He swears it was an accident, but he was charged with assault with a deadly weapon and <gasps> attempted manslaughter. And so he was what? sentenced to a lot of community service. Yeah. And so oh, that was wow. when he just had to say, I can't do this anymore. I never wanted to be famous. And he walked yeah. away from the relationship. It was just mm. too intense. And so that's the last significant romantic relationship of Cher's life that we know about. But as she's Mm -hmm. said many times, she doesn't consider men to be a necessity. They're a luxury like dessert. She loves Mm. dessert, but she doesn't necessarily need it. And there's so much Mm. more in her life that's fulfilling for her. She doesn't need a rich man because she is a rich man. She is a rich man. Um, That breakup was pretty bittersweet timing because around that time, Turn Back Time came out and Mm. this is another iconic Cher song, which was... I think that might be my favourite. Many people's favourite. In fact, for most people, when they think Cher, they think that music video and they think that song. Yes. She turned it down. She told (laughs) Diane Warren... Warren wrote that? Oh, yeah. Gosh, she did. One of the most successful okay. songwriters in history, and she wrote it specifically yeah. for Cher. Cher heard the demo and said, no, nah, I hate it, not interested. Diane had to get on her knees and beg Cher to just try recording it. And then when Cher heard herself singing it, she admitted, okay, I've been wrong. Let's record it. turn back time, if I could find a way, I'd get back on a sudden I hurt you and you'd say, there you go. Thank Key you. change. If I could reach <laughs> the stars, I'd give them all to you. Oh, you've left. 
You've left the chat. Oh, wait, you're back. <laughs> I closed my eyes to sing and when I opened them, you were gone. What did I miss? I'm back. I went to get a drink. <laughs> I said I closed my eyes to sing and when I opened them, you were gone. How <laughs> dare you? I did the key change and everything. Well, I'm sure everyone enjoyed every moment of it. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's kick off. Let's Kicking keep going. On. Okay. Um, the music video, I'm sure everyone has seen it. We don't need to describe it. It was so controversial. It was banned by MTV. And was it really? Yes. And certain channels wouldn't play it before 9 p.m. at night because Cher's outfit is so risque. 89. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. But the things that were so controversial, mm. the fact that you can see so much of her skin, although really she's mm. just wearing a very skimpy bathing suit with a fishnet bodysuit yeah. over the top of it. But yeah. when it's paired with the leather jacket and the high boots, mm. you know, kind of looks a bit slutty-ish, I guess. Does Plus, it though? I, how bizarre. I know, Maybe by today's I. standards. But back then it was also outrageous that all her tattoos were on display because she's got this really big elaborate tattoo across her butt cheeks and that mm. was just too much for most conservative people. Plus people were really up in arms over the fact that her son Elijah Blue was on stage next to her and he was only 12 years old at the time playing guitar. Oh. So they thought but- that that was improper. <laughs> uh, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. There was all sorts of scandal as well to do with the Navy, which I'll post a link to because they were outraged. At the end of the day, though, there's no such thing as bad publicity and the success of the no, song and the and album. My, that's my favourite part of the video. She's on the ship and all the Navy dudes are there and she's singing and they're loving it. So the Navy was outraged. I'm going to say right now, I always thought that was the Navy and that they agreed. So they were real soldiers on a real boat and that was actually yeah. the boat at warship, whatever you want to call it, where the Emperor of Japan surrendered at the end of World War II. So World War II mm-hmm. essentially ended on that ship, which meant mm-hmm. that it was sort of a protected site. Now, the Navy didn't have a marketing budget, but they thought, all right, if we let them shoot this video on the ship, it'll act like a mm. recruitment drive tool for us. People will want to come join the Navy because you get to dance around on a boat with Cher as if they didn't have enough yeah. gay people joining the armed forces already. <laughs> but they were told that Cher would be wearing a jumpsuit And it wasn't until all 2,000 sailors were in place on the boat and all the lights had been rigged up and everything that she came out in that outfit and they were furious. So you're actually about to say the Navy was into it until they saw that she was too scantily dressed for their liking? That is correct. Oh, the Navy can go suck a herpes penis. Mm -hmm. Get lost. Okay. Uh, Like there were massive petitions because all these veterans were so outraged. They thought it was disrespectful. She desecrated a sacred site of significant historical importance. And yeah, so it became a whole kerfuffle. But Cher has experienced a lot of bad publicity and it's always only pushed her forward. She had another sellout world tour. But then things started to get really bad for her because between the touring and the movies and the breakup, she wiped herself out, caught glandular fever and developed chronic fatigue syndrome. So she couldn't work much at all for the next few years, started to get worried about money. She couldn't tour. She couldn't shoot movies. She just didn't have the energy. So in 1993, she accepted an opportunity that turned out to be career suicide for her. She started appearing in infomercials. Oh, 
I have no idea about this. Yeah, she did it because she needed the cash and she wanted to help out a friend who was launching a hair care line and she just didn't think many people would see it, but she was so Mm. mistaken. The world was aghast because he was this Oscar winner hocking hairspray in these really cheesy home shopping ads. Like, you Uh can watch them. I'll post the link. They are so cringy and smarmy. And then, of course, she was mocked mercilessly on every comedy show. Christina Applegate mm. played a really good share in an SNL skit. And oh, really? Yeah, I'll post the link to that as well. Oh, my God, we're going to have to post so many links in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I'm giving everyone like a week's worth of follow-up <laughs> material. I'm excited, yeah. The world just sort of accepted, okay, Cher's not going to be doing movies anymore and she's given up on being a cool rock star. Like, she'd already pushed the envelope. She'd launched a perfume and she'd released a Jane Fonda-style exercise tape, but now these infomercials were just too far. And this is why we have that iconic line from Clueless where Alicia Silverstone's character Cher says, Dion and I were both named after famous singers of the past who now do infomercials. That was the perception of Cher throughout the 90s. She couldn't get parts. Her music releases were just fizzes. And it was like Cher was just over until 1998. Is this where you're about to bring us to do you but love after love? <laughs> I am, yes. 1998 Yay. was when she launched the most successful comeback of her career, but that comeback was driven very much by the tragedy of Sonny's death, which mm. was quite sudden. Over the years, he'd gone from opening restaurants to then going into politics, and he was serving as a congressman at the time he died in a skiing Mm -hmm. accident, and Cher was devastated. She Mm. delivered the eulogy at the funeral. She said it was the most important thing she'd ever done in her life. I will post that video. I mean, she had known him since she was 15? 16, yeah. 16, that's that's a huge relationship in your life. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I don't think she even really realised how much he meant to her until he was gone. You can watch Mm. the eulogy. It is very touching the way she speaks about how they were just bonded forever. And she didn't know that was going to be televised either. She had no clue that (gasps) CNN were broadcasting it. Yeah, but the world saw it. What a violation, though. That's awful. She didn't seem to be upset about it, but she was definitely surprised. She hadn't been warned. Mm. Um, It worked in her favour. The world just loved her even more because they could see Mm. that raw emotion coming out of her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then she definitely wasn't trying to capitalise on Sunny's death, but she wanted to express to the world how much Sunny meant to her. So she hosted a memorial special on TV for Sunny and she wrote and published her first autobiography called The First Time, which is a really good read. Annoyingly, it's not in audiobook format, but it is a fantastic autobiography where she talks through all the the firsts in her life, the big firsts. Mm. A bunch of documentaries were made about her and Sunny, which opened the world's eyes to how tough and how talented and determined and resilient she really is. And yes, while all eyes were on her, that's when she launched the biggest album of her career, Believe. Mm. Which was huge when it came out. And I have such vivid memories of driving around in Canberra with my cousin who had just got a new sound system installed in her car. (laughs) And we played that song over and over and over at full volume, just ruining the piece all across the ACT. 
It was very, like, I think I was maybe in year seven and it was just like video hits, rage every weekend, Cher's new song. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. And she had been Everywhere. refusing to do a dance album for years. All of her mm. people were telling her, you've got to do a dance album for your gay fans. And she said, no, I'm not into it. Not keen. But there was something about the lyrics, do you believe in life after love, that just struck a chord with her after Sunny died, as well as lines like, I'm strong enough to live without you. Mm. They felt really empowering and true to her. So she recorded it, sold millions of albums, went on tour again. And at the end of that tour, she decided, okay, it's time to hang up the wigs. I'm going to do one last tour, the farewell tour or sharewell tour in Mm -hmm. 2002. She said she wasn't retiring. She was just retiring from the touring because the touring could kill a chick half her age. It is the Mm -hmm. biggest regret of my life that I didn't go and see this concert. I had the opportunity, but no one wanted to come with me. So I missed out when it was in Sydney. I would have gone with you if we'd known each other. If only. I know. What did we meet? Like, Couple three, of years two later. years later, three years yeah. later. Oh, damn Dang. you, universe. Mm. Okay. Yeah. It's okay, though. I bought the DVD and I watched it till I broke it. I know it by heart. <laughs> um, if you can't get your hands on the DVD, it's available on YouTube. At the beginning, she introduces it as the sharest show on earth and explains that her motivation was <laughs> to create the most fabulous concert in history that would be impossible for any other little starlet to follow. And she calls out these new girls who are coming along and she mentions by name J-Lo and Britney and then says, <laughs> follow this, you bitches. Ah, I love her. I love her. So fab. Um, That tour went on for three years and she really did believe it was her farewell tour, but turned out, as we all know, she had a few more left in her and she had a few Mm -hmm. more albums as well. And she really hasn't stopped since then. And everything that she's done has turned to gold in that time Mm. because she's now viewed as this sort of protected species and everything that she does today is celebrated because everyone knows how strong, how indomitable she is. Mm. And there's just this undying admiration for her. I will Mm. say she hates burlesque. (laughs) which I'm really sad about. <laughs> she I was thinks, wondering if you were even going to mention it. Yeah. I didn't think you would want to besmirch this episode by no. bringing it up. I love burlesque so much. I know you do. I, I nearly died <laughs> when I found out Christina and Cher were doing a movie together. So, look, I and every other gay out there adores this movie, mm. even though it's ridiculous and crap and it is one of the worst examples of when a man tries to write women and he just doesn't understand them at all. Mm -hmm. You can ignore all that and just focus on the musical numbers. Cher would say that was her only misstep in the last 10 years or so. My favourite acting gig she's done in the last, oh, I guess it might even be more than 10 years now, is when she was on Will and Grace in Jack's Dream. That was a great Follow your bliss, Jack. (laughs) Follow your bliss. Follow your bliss. (laughs) I love it when she slaps him when he thinks that she's a drag Cher impersonator and tells him, snap out of it. So Never out of here. Oh, yeah. Um, quickly, I'll just mention 2018, the Share Show opened on Broadway and it earned a bunch of Tony Awards. Not one for Share oh. yet, though. So she's got the mm. Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar. Dying for her to one day get a Tony so she can be an so EGOT. So she can have an EGOT. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I've spoken about this musical on the podcast before. I'm sure I've mentioned the out-of-body joy that I got seeing it. It's a jukebox musical <laughs> that tells the story that I've just told you, but through all shared songs. songs. Yes. Oh, dream. When you go and see it, when you can, make sure you go and see it. Yeah. Anywho, 2018, Mamma Mia 2 came out and mm-hmm. I have not been able to bring myself to watch it. Have you? Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Mm-mm, I couldn't do it. It's, I hated Mamma Mia so much, the first oh, one. Oh, see, I loved Mamma Mia. I was about to say it's not as good as the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Mamma Mia. Um, <sighs> in the second one, she's, I mean, she's great. She's funny, but it's just not, it's, yeah, mm. you know. I wouldn't have done it if I was her, but that's, you know. I'm not mad that she did it because it inspired her to record an album of ABBA covers called Dancing Queen. And Oh, well, there you go. I didn't know that. is fabulous. And then because of that album, she went on tour again, which meant I finally got to see her live. And When was this? 2018. And I got to go with my mum and my aunts. And it was so ironic to me because whenever I would go to the US for work, I would check if Cher was performing in any of the cities that I was going to be visiting and she never was. And then of all places that I ended up getting to see her was Newcastle, New South Wales. (laughs) (laughs) Such a chicken shit little venue, but the show was just phenomenal. I loved it beyond words. And like in her monologue at the beginning, she was talking about how she was in her 70s and could still do a five-minute plank and she's not quitting anytime soon. And then she signs off her little chat with the audience by saying, so what's your granny doing tonight? <laughs> oh, my God, that's amazing. So and that good. totally harks back to her variety show roots. Like that's such a variety show joke. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and then oh. 2020 screwed with Cher's plans as it did for all of us. Mm. She was meant to be doing another Vegas residency and going on tour again towards the end of the year as well, but (laughs) something came up. Um, So she put her energy into supporting some really important causes. Mm -hmm. She focused on campaigning for Joe Biden. Big on Twitter. Oh, yes. Um, She's big on Twitter. She's been big on Twitter for like 12 years or something, I think, and I've only just tuned into it in the last year or so. She, yeah, she's big on Twitter and big on emojis on Twitter. Mm. Her tweets are amazing. <laughs> partly a because. Emojis, a lot of capital letters. That's partly the dyslexia. Like she's struggled with that her entire Oh, now life. I feel like a dick. Oh, look, she no, would joke about meant, it. I didn't mean, I just meant it's the emojis and the capital letters are because she, every tweet she tweets, she really cares about. Like. Mm. She never tweets nonsense. She's always tweeting like a big thing. Mm. And, you know, you you can tell it's her. It's unpolished. It's unfiltered. It's Cher. Yeah. It's Cher. Yeah. Um, So she was trying really hard to get Trump out of office. She also Mm. started up a charity to support vulnerable communities through COVID called Share Cares. And they've done some amazing things to help people get through the pandemic. Also, she partnered with Free the Wild to Rescue the World's Loneliest Elephant, which you've spoken about before and you alerted me to. Um, There is a documentary out there It's difficult to find in Australia, but you can find a way. It's called Cher and the Loneliest Elephant, and it tells the story (laughs) of Cher getting a 36-year-old 
elephant out of mm. this awful slum of a zoo in Pakistan where he lived in a shed that had no roof. He had no water in his pool. He had no toys to play with. He'd been all alone for more than 20 years and she got him moved to a refuge mm. in Cambodia. It is so touching and she's working on freeing some more animals that are in terrible situations in the future as well. While at the same time she's writing her second autobiography, it's already 12 months late, but I'm sure she'll get it done <laughs> at some point. You know what deadlines oh, so can be my like. Third book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, she's got some new music coming out later this year and she's producing her own biopic, which I look forward to auditioning for. And mm. hopefully later this year she'll be taking Brittany to Saint-Tropez to eat ice cream to her heart's content. Yes. <gasps> and how old is she be now? Magic. She's 75. She turned 75 in May. Oh, and still she's going. 75. Yep. And her mum is 95 and she's still yeah. going strong as well. I mean it when I say I'll do an episode Georgia. about her as well. She's we remarkable. Must. Um, yeah, so that is just the gist of someone who has been mocked and humiliated and flat broke and destitute and used and manipulated, but has persevered through all of it to remain one of the biggest and most loved people in her story. And you haven't seen the last of Cher. Oh, Jacob, I'm emotional. It is emotional. I genuinely cry when I think about a lot of the things that she's been and through in her life. You only went 20 minutes over the time limit I gave you. <laughs> <laughs> Which Phew. is impressive because I thought you would double it. But oh. I easily oh could have. God. Honestly, there is so much more information out there. Like I said, we'll post heaps of links to a couple of documentaries that you might like to go and watch. I've just given you a taste. I hope that if you didn't know much about Cher or maybe didn't mm. care that much about Cher that you have now fallen in love. One of the documentaries that I'll recommend is called Dear yeah. Mum, Love, Share. And in 2013, Share had this documentary about her mum's life made. Mm. And it is such a great watch because, you know, Georgia is telling the story of her family's life and their background and she's sitting on a couch with Cher on one side and Georgian on the other. And just watching their raw unfiltered family dynamic mm. is really magical. Highly recommend that. I think um, the thing I like most about this whole Just the Gist is that she is a woman who has always, no matter what, insisted on being herself, mm -hmm. which is the hardest thing to do, and has always, no matter what, not cared about the criticism, the bullshit, the negativity, and just said, I'm going to keep going anyway mm -hmm. in the face of all of that and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Yep. Like it is so difficult to explain how hard it is, particularly for women, to do things the way they want to do them in the face of a society that dictates so specifically how they should be and live mm and walk around every day. And the fact that even back in the 60s and 70s, she was going nut mm -hmm. and she continues to do it now. I love it. I, what a, if she, she should, like, we need to do one of these on Dolly Parton as well because yeah. there are some of these women like Dolly and like Cher who we should be so lucky to learn anything from. Mm -hmm. They've had such a huge impact on the culture and a lot mm. of, you know, the... 
the freedoms that women do enjoy today that weren't around back then, like mm. these female icons were a big part of shifting cultural yeah. mentality. Um, and, yes, Dolly Parton is the same age as Cher and they do have a lot of similarities, one of which is that they are so happy to be the butt of the joke and they're so happy to yes. joke about themselves. Like they don't take themselves too seriously. They take their work very seriously. Yeah. But they don't for a second take themselves seriously. To me, self-deprecation is the number one sign of a person who has a very strong sense of self. Mm-hmm. It's like they say men who are confident in their masculinity aren't afraid to embrace their femininity because mm. they have nothing to be afraid of. They yeah. have nothing to hide. And it's anybody who is like unapologetically self-deprecating, I think that's so awesome because it means you have no doubts about who you are. Mm-hmm. And Cher has mm. absolutely no doubts about who she is. Although there's a little what? bit of controversy over whether she is or she is not part Cherokee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's it. Was a different time. Neither here nor there. It was yep. a di- it was a different time. But mm. um, that was so good. Thank I'm so you. glad I stopped unpacking for two hours to do that with you. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> that was amazing. Very that was fun. Really fun. Um, sorry about the weird sound issues at the start. Fifi will do something to make it sound as good as possible. Let's end on a song. What song should we end on? Well, which is your favourite? Because I've got my favourites, but mine are sort of deep cuts that hardly anyone knows. Yeah, see, I don't know the deep cuts. Okay. I'll start and you'll know. Oh, what am I supposed to do? Sit around and wait for you. Well, I can't do that. There's no turning back. I need time to move on. I need a love to feel strong. And you're gone. Listener.